Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart. Welcome guys and gals to the Mobile Home Park Academy's weekly podcast. We'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from a lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, along with my co-host and business partner, Charles Dehart. Charles, what's going on, man? How you doing, bud? Doing good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Man. It's been a while since we've done one of these shows together. I feel like we've interviewed a bunch of people. We've uh, covered a bunch of mistakes uh, over our 21 Biggest Mistakes series, but we haven't done a live show for quite some time. And now we're actually streaming on Facebook, man. Yeah, it's exciting it's times. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots, lots of stuff yeah. happening. So, so in today's show, uh, Charles, I will be covering um, the top 10 questions or the top 10 most important questions that you should be asking when purchasing a mobile home park. And just so you know, this doesn't really just apply to new investors, but even seasoned investors like Charles and myself, obtaining the answers to these questions will really help you paint a clear picture of the park's current operations and whether or not it's something you even have an interest in pursuing or not. So uh, before we get onto the show, Charles, I want to run through a quick uh, laundry list here that we have. Uh, just we'll try to make this as quick as possible. Uh, first order of business, Charles, is uh, we've recently launched our mobile home park academy, man. It's, it's been a labor of love for a long, long time, and it's, it's live, right? You, mm-hmm. we're, and we're kicking butt it's with it. Totally live, so... Everything's up and running. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, guys, just in case you don't know what the Mobile Home Park Academy is, it's a 90-day intensive program uh, where we offer you the most in-depth training that you'll ever find on the topic of mobile home park investing. So if you want to check that out, you can go to mobilehomeparkacademy.com. And also, at that website, you'll find our podcast. You listen to previous episodes, but you'll also find a free two-hour training that Charles and I created for you guys. Uh, This will give you both a taste of what you can expect within the academy, but there's actually a ton of information that training. We'll teach you how to do market analysis, teach you how to find off-market deals by going direct to owners. Um, we'll teach you basically everything you need to know to get started in this niche and to determine whether or not it's even a, even a good fit for you or not. Okay, So go check it out, mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Uh, next up, uh, we've recently opened our Mobile Home Park Investment Partnership Fund, and we're looking for investors just like you who have an interest in partnering with me and my highly skilled team, Charles and myself, and we've got another team behind us. Um, partnering on deals together. And uh, you can read more about our company and this opportunity to work together by going to sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. And uh, Charles, I would really love the opportunity to show you why we think that mobile home parks are by far one of the best kept secrets and how they regularly outperform just about every other type of real estate that you've probably ever seen or even looked at or considered investing in, okay? So go go to sunrisecapitalinvestors.com to learn more about that. Uh, in addition to that partnership opportunity, Charles and I, we, we decided uh, about a month or two ago that uh, for those that have an interest in investing with us alongside us in that partnership fund that we are also going to give them 
lifetime access to the Mobile Home Park Academy. So if they have an interest in actually not just passively investing with us, but actually learning the business and learning the mechanics of what we do day in and day out, maybe they want to go do, um, you know, deal their own someday. Well, then they'll have lifetime access to the Mobile Home Park Academy. And again, you can learn more about that by going to Sunrise Capital Investors. Dot com And uh, uh, just a few more quick things here. If you ever find yourself in the Tampa Bay area, that's where Charles and I are based out of, uh, you can look us up and uh, we'd love to grab lunch together, grab a coffee, beer, whatever it might be. But um, you can reach out to us, mobilehomeparkacademy at gmail.com. That's our main email address. It goes to both Charles and myself. And let us know when you're coming into town and uh, we'd love to coordinate a time to get together. And uh, lastly, guys, um, if you've noticed in the past, we've done a lot of interviews with other park operators on this show, and we'd love to have you on. If you're an existing park operator, it uh, doesn't matter the size of your portfolio, whether you own one park or 100 parks, we'd love to have you on the show, have you as a guest. So reach out to us to learn more about the opportunity of uh, coming on the show as a guest, mobilehomeparkacademy at gmail.com. And uh, Charles, I think that's it, man. I think the laundry's clean and we're ready to get rolling with the show. So Let's just Absolutely. dive right into this thing. Yeah, let's dive into these top 10, top 10 questions. Uh, these are questions that Charles and I, we ask every time we get an owner on the phone. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, these are things that will, again, like I mentioned in the beginning, they'll paint a clear picture for you of what really, you know, what really is happening at this park. And is it something that's worth pursuing? You know, hopefully you'll be able to weed it out pretty quickly. And these top 10 questions, I mean, this could literally turn into... It could turn into an hour-long conversation, you know, possibly maybe even longer than that. In fact, the longer the better, right? That means that you're building rapport and you're actually getting to know the owner well, and you're hopefully getting to know the park. So, Charles, you want to just go ahead? Let's just dive into the question yeah. number one. Like, what's this is the most important one, right? This will really sets the foundation for the entire uh, conversation you're going to have with the owner. So, what is it? Yeah, the first one is uh, why are you selling or considering selling your park? And really, this the answer to this question can really help you formulate your pitch on uh, what direction you, you take your negotiation. You know, um, if you've got an owner that tells you something like maybe they want to sell it, cash out and go buy another piece of property, then you know that maybe seller financing probably isn't the option for them. But if you, if you know that the, uh, the owner's tired and maybe they, they still like the income, uh, then it tells you a lot about whether or not owner financing might be a good pitch for you. So it's a very, very important question. And uh, it's one you should definitely ask in that first conversation. Yeah. And I mean, more importantly, I mean, really what we're trying to do in that first conversation is we're, we're trying to uncover any of the motivations, right? And motivations mm -hmm. don't necessarily mean distress, like they, like they have to sell, but you know, there's always a time, I always like to say it, there's always a time when people either need or they want to sell. And obviously there's more of a urgency uh, when they need to sell versus wanting to sell, or actually, I guess it could be, could be both ways, Charles, right? Uh, but yeah. really we're trying to figure out what that is, right? What are their motivations? It could be, it could be things like, you know, they've done it for 35 years and they're just tired. They're sick of, they're sick of dealing with tenants and they want to go sit on the beach somewhere and drink Mai Tais or, you know, sex on the beach drinks and just kick their feet up and relax because they're tired. Like their hands are worn. Uh, it could be a partnership that was going bad or that is going bad. And uh, they've got to exit out of it. it. could be a divorce. It could be many different things. You know, it just, you want to, you want to really find out what those motivations are and then build your entire case around what you find out the reasons are for the owner needing or wanting to sell. So Charles, the second one, uh, what's the second one? Again, these are all very important. I mean, you got to figure these out before you move forward or whether or not you're going to pursue in the park. So what's the second question? Yeah, the second question, you know, now we're starting to get into uh, more specific about the park. So you've got the second one would be how many lots do you have? Uh, this this is going to be more for total developed lots. Um, really, how many how many lots of the, is the park licensed for, and are there any opportunities to expand? Um, mm -hmm. You want to know about those things. You want to know 
how big that park is and how big it could be, and if there's opportunity in that uh, down the road. Yeah, you know, I want to I want to mention something here. You you said that this really applies to developed lots, and I'm going to give you guys a quick story of a conversation I uh, <laughs> I just had, um, I guess about two weeks ago, with a park owner uh, that has a park that is uh, it's approximately 70 spaces in well. Let me start over. He told me the park was 140 spaces in size. And so that gets that gets my interest right there. I'm, I'm real excited and uh, um, excited to learn more about it. Right. And uh, as we get talking, um, I pull up a Google Earth and I look at it and I realize that I start trying to count as where. And number one, I first off, I knew right away there wasn't 140 lots there when I looked at Google <laughs> Earth. I saw the aerial image. I knew there wasn't 140 lots there. And so uh, once I noticed that, I said, I just just I don't mean to interrupt you, sir, just. I want to clarify, I'm looking at the you know, image on the computer and uh, it doesn't look like it's 140 lots. Is, are they all developed? You know, I, I knew the answer to the question, but um, so no, the, the park had, I believe uh, it was like 71 developed lots and uh, he's, he had a bunch of extra, extra vacant land next to the property and had at one point in time, don't know if it's still valid or not, but at one point in time had been approved to put another, you know, 70 or so lots in place. And so meaning like there was no infrastructure there whatsoever. There's no roads, there's no utility lines, it's a bunch mm-hmm. of trees and brush. And so really the park is a 70 space park, not a 140 space park. So that's very important to determine. I could have talked to him for an hour and a half and he could give me some, cra- like what would have seemed like a crazy price. He could have thrown out there, you know, eight or $900,000 in my mind, I'd have been jumping up and down because 140 spaces for, you know, eight, $900,000. But then I come to find out it's really only 70 spaces that I, we were really talking about. You know, there yeah. is some value in vacant land um, and there's value in it in an expansion opportunity. We just don't put a ton of value into it. Right, Charles? I mean, it's just, we're not really in the land business. It might be icing on the cake down the road if we buy the right park and the right market to where there's a demand to expand, but uh, it's not really factored in a lot to our initial uh, evaluation. No, absolutely. It's a, it's a very hard upside to achieve. And a lot of times when you see sellers that have uh, vacant land that can be developed, um, potentially be developed, I mean, you, you still don't know from that first conversation whether or not it's, uh, you know, it might cost so much to develop that it's not to make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the permitting process is so arduous that there's no way you would ever do it. Or maybe the, uh, the city won't issue a permit for it. Maybe he's, he's got it in there and, you know, at one time he could have developed it, but the city now doesn't, uh, isn't going to allow him to do it. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that's actually a pretty common thing that we see is that um, maybe they had approval like 15 years ago. And uh, really haven't followed up with, with it since then. And uh, more than likely, things have probably changed to where it might be a little bit more of an uphill battle to get uh, the approval that they once had many, many years ago. So, uh, Charles, question number three, which one's that? How many occupied lots? So, you want to know from the standpoint of how many lots that have trailers on them. Um, you want to know how many of those lots have paying tenants on them. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you want to know about the delinquency too. Do you have tenants in there that are problems as far as are they, are they paying late? Are they not paying at all? Is there some kind of charity situation going on in the park with the park owner? Um, you want to know about all those situations. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that's very important as well. I mean, we're, again, we, we put more value on developed lots that are empty versus vacant land, but we put the most value on lots that actually had physical homes on them that are, paying that are paying rent, right? Because even if you've got a, like we've looked at parks, I'm going to give you another example because I think examples work the best in these types of scenarios. Uh, Charles, there was a park, I believe it was, uh, it was somewhere in Illinois. I can't even think of the market, uh, maybe Carbondale. 
Does that strike a bell? Yeah. There, there was think, a park. Yeah, I, think it was. I think it was a 50 space park. So here, here we go, guys. 50 space park. This is a pretty extreme, uh, extreme example I'm going to give you, but 50 space park. And um, I think it had 48 occupied pads. So looking at an aerial image, you said, wow, this is basically a pretty full park, right? There's only a couple of vacant pads. Well, then we come to find out when we talk to the owner that every, I think every single one, Charles, right? Every single one of the homes were vacant. So there was no, oh, there, yeah. was no re- there was no revenue whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, is that the one with the, with the little lagoon system on it. Yep, too? yep, that was it. That yep. was it. Yeah. So uh, that that doesn't really do us too much good. I mean, uh, you might be in a situation where you're like, hey, if I can live the right price, I'll go and I'll renovate all those homes. And we've we've actually done that before. So we've bought parks that were basically, uh, you know literally a park full of empty park owned homes. And we've gone in and renovated them and brought the place, place back to life. Um, it's not for a faint of heart. I mean, it, it definitely takes a lot of work. Like Elba Grease and it's doable. But uh, anyway, I just, I want to make sure that you understand why it's so important to find out, um, you know, how many trailers are actually sitting on pads themselves. And then also actually how many have, have paying tenants that are inside of them. Uh, Charles, what's the next question? Question number four. Yeah. How many park owned homes? And this is really going to be, um, you know, we've, you know, in the past, we've been okay with uh, park-owned homes and communities, uh, you know, but it's a very unscalable business model to uh, to be acquiring tons and tons of park-owned homes. So we've started to get a little bit more strict about the, the communities that we buy. Uh, but with those park-owned homes, you want to know kind of the average age, the average size. Um, there's a big difference between a 3-2, um, you know, 2,000 model park-owned home and a 1960 one-bedroom park-owned home. So, you want to know about, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of park owned home inventory you will be taking over and, and what the opportunity might be to start selling those park owned homes down the road. Mm-hmm. Charlie, let's talk about that for a little bit because our business model is, uh, it's, it's evolving a little bit. And I don't even know how many park owned homes we currently have in our inventory and in our portfolio, definitely uh, over a hundred, I would think. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's a, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's some people out there, more, more so today than I remember seeing a couple of years back, Charles, that they're actually looking for the park-owned homes. I mean, they're looking for parks that are full of park-owned homes, whereas we're looking for the complete opposite. And uh, we're not right. scared of park-owned homes. Um, most of the parks we buy have them. Uh, some are full of park-owned homes, but um, it's a completely different business model. You're basically a horizontal apartment complex, and it's a just a lot harder to manage. It's, it's harder to scale and there's a lot more moving parts to it, a lot more uh, on-site management intensive. Um, you can't just get away with like a hundred space park. If it's got 60 or 70 park on home, you can't get away with just like one on-site manager. You probably need a manager and an assistant as well. And probably a couple uh, full-time maintenance guys in addition to that. So it's just, a, it's a little bit more of a challenging business model. And um, Charles, what do you think? I, I want to ask you what, where I was going with that is I want to ask you, why do you think um, we see more of a, uh, of a demand from, from park investors that are looking for those types of parks that have the park on homes in them. And I don't mean, I don't want to digress here, but I've seen that and you've probably seen this as well. What do you think the reasons are? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I think you see a lot of that from maybe some of the more ex- inexperienced investors that, that they want to buy communities to have park on homes for whatever reason. Uh, I can tell you in our business, we spend the most time on uh, Blackburn Mobile Home Park and Lovejoy. And those happen to be the two communities we have the most park-owned homes in. So mm-hmm. that's what, you know, for us, I mean, we can, it's, it's clear as day in our own business that the scalable uh, business model is to, to own, as very, own as few of those as possible because that's where most of your effort gets, gets put in as an owner. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so that, that's park-owned homes. You want to know how many park-owned homes are in the park? And then the next question, the, the immediate follow-up question to that, Charles, is what? Yeah, how many tenant-owned homes? There you you want to know about the, the ones uh, we like, the, lot the ones we like, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and with that, you know, you you know, you can ask the owners some questions about the the, the pride that some of these owners take in their in their homes. Um, you know, some of those things, and um, you can do street views. Um, you can usually spot a lot of the tenant-owned homes with the with the nice shrubbery and landscaping, and maybe even a little fence uh, on their property. Um, but you do the tenant-owned homes. Uh, the people that live in those, they usually take better care of their their stuff, and they they are just nicer features in the in the community as all. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we know how many occupied pads are, and we know how many of them are park-owned homes. We know how many tenant-owned homes are in there. What's the next question? What's question number six that we need to be asking? The monthly lot rent. So you definitely want to know what the lot mm-hmm. rent is, and uh, with that, you should have a pretty good general idea of what the market lot rent is. So this is this is kind of where you're starting to get into what's the opportunity in this in this investment. What's the potential upside mm-hmm. for this deal? Um, and then you know with that, you want to ask questions about maybe the last time those rents were were raised, uh, and then by how much, and then what's included in the lot rent as far as utilities. Uh, are those utilities passed through, or are they included in the rent? Um, you want to know those things because it's going to help you be able to sort of build a, uh, a rough estimate of what that park might be worth. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that might be included in utilities that, that Charles is speaking of uh, could be water, could be sewer, could be trash, could be lawn care, could be snow removal, um, cable. We've seen cable and in, in, in included in the, the lot rent. Uh, Charles, are there, is there anything else I'm missing there that might be included? Um, you know, did you mention electric for RV lots? I did not. No, no, that's, that's a really good question. Yep. That's a good yep. one. So if you get RV lots, that's something to consider as well, uh, especially the short-term RVers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. So we got the lot rent out of the way. Um, what's question number seven, Charles? What should we be asking then? Then again, it just kind of follows up with uh, the question that we just asked about the lot rent, what's included. You really want to get, you want to get some information about the source of the water and sewer. Like what's, is that municipal water sewer? Or, or are we talking about private water sewer systems? Um, and then from, uh, from there, it's, you know, who pays for that? Uh, most private systems are, you know, there's not any kind of billing back in the private system um, typically. So, you know, in reality, you're paying for that if, uh, if you're providing private water, private sewer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, this is, this is a big deal. I mean, this is where... Um you'll see when you get a profit and loss statement, this is where it tends to be like a huge line expense item is the uh, the water, like the water and sewers included, uh, especially if it's public, you know, if it's like in a city limits or even if it's in the county, uh, because you'll find that when it's a public water source and it's included in the rent, tenants, I mean, they abuse it, right? I mean, if, if they're not paying for it, then they, they could care less. Most of the time they could care less. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you'll find that that's a huge line of expense. In fact, a lot of people might say, uh, you know, they, they might they might look at a profit and loss statement and realize that the park's not really making much money. The expense ratio is really high because maybe the, uh, you know, one of the items that's really taken down the NOI is the water and sewer expense. But for us, we see that as a big benefit. We see that as a benefit of being able to go back and some meter uh, each individual lot and build the tenants back for it, uh, thus sending that savings directly to the bottom line, which is money in our pocket. So um, you could look at the, you know, glasses half full, glasses half empty, you know, it depends on how you want to look at it, but we like it. <laughs> we yeah, like that the glasses half do. full. So, okay. Uh, question number eight. What's that one, Charles? Yeah. You want to kind of get an idea of the, uh, the NOI. I mean, you should be able to, at this point with the questions that you've asked, 
estimate what the NOI should be on the property. But at this point, you want to get the seller to tell you what their net operating income was for the year and sort of compare and, uh, and make, some, make some guesses on how well they're running this park as mm-hmm. far as uh, you know, how well are they uh, you know, keeping the expenses under control, how well are they, they, they collecting the rent. You know? So you want to get some information on what the, what the last year's NOI might be. Mm-hmm. Now, we'll tell you, if you just say the word NOI, or if you use the acronym NOI, you might yeah. have to actually explain what that is. And I, and I don't mean to discount park owners that they're not sophisticated enough to understand that a lot will, but there's also a lot that won't. And so um, sometimes I kind of have to walk through um, what NOI is. And uh, because a lot of times if you say, you know, what was the income of the park last year? What did the park make? If, you, if, you, if you're very vague like that, the answer you'll probably get, at least from my experience, is they'll give you the gross income. And they'll, in fact, mm-hmm. a lot of times I've got a, if I'm in a conversation with a seller or park owner, uh, they'll very commonly throw out gross numbers as though it's like real money going into their pocket. And so you've got to really break it down and clarify exactly what are they considering to be gross and what are they considering to be net. So you might have to approach it from a few different angles to get the right number out of them. And, and a lot might not even know it. I mean, a lot of them might not even know what the real number is. I mean, do you find that to be true, Charles? I mean, a lot of mom and pops, you'll find that when you really ask them what they're making each and every year off this park, like after all the expenses are paid for, a lot of them just don't really know that number. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times what I like to do is most park owners won't just send you their uh, their tax return from the previous year. They won't send you that information, but you can have them go look at it and tell you the number that's in specific blocks mm-hmm. uh, that give you what the NOI should be. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what those blocks are. I usually pull it up when I'm in that situation, but uh, all of them are pretty much standard. So mm-hmm. you can tell them, you know, go look at the uh, the net income at the end of the year and then add back the insurance or the, uh, the, um, uh, the interest and the depreciation. And uh, that's what their net operating income was. Yep. Yep. Okay. Good deal. And so uh, that was question number eight. Number nine. Number nine. What is that, Charles? Yeah. What do you feel the park is worth? At this point, you're going to try to extract uh, what the park owner sees the value being. Um, it's a really useful tool to, uh, to start a negotiation. No one wants to be the first one to throw out a price, but uh, you definitely want to try to steer the owner into throwing a price out there so that you know that whether, so you know whether or not you're at least close mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the best way I like to approach it is I'll, I'll, I'll come in it from a sideway, sideway angle and I'll say, you know, I know you probably have no idea what your park's worth. You probably haven't had a praise in a long time, but if you did know what it was worth or if, if you did have a praise, what do you think it would appraise for? You know, I just, just kind of hit it directly. No one ever is here. Here's the thing. I mean, when you're in this initial conversation with the park owner, um, most people know that like when you're talking about selling something, like no matter what, uh, no matter what phase of the game it's in, like you're somewhat in a negotiation and like the, you know, the number one rule for negotiation, like don't speak first, right? Don't throw out the first number. Mm-hmm. And so you'll find sometimes that it's a little bit of a battle, a little bit of a challenge to get a number out unless you ask it in a very indirect manner like that. You know, I know you don't know what the park's really worth, but I mean, if you did know what it was worth, if you, I mean, if, let's say you got an appraised, what do you think that appraisal will come in at? Just get it because everyone's got a number in their head. Everyone has a general idea of either what they think something's worth or what they think they would sell it for or what, you know, Maybe not what it's worth, but like what it would take to get them out of it, you know, take to get them to, to transfer ownership of it and sell it to you, right? So we want to find right. out what that is. If they think it's worth $5 million and just on the general numbers, like by now you have enough information uh, that you should be able to run a, a pretty quick, a quick rule of thumb to determine approximate value. I mean, you should be able to get within, I don't know, Charles, what would you say, 10%, 10 to 15%, like a real oh, yeah. value? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if they throw out five million and your quick and dirty evaluation comes up with a million, well, then you're pretty far apart, right? And um, it just there might be some unrealistic expectations on their side, and it happens. It happens quite often, actually. And so it's more it's more common than not. But you just want to find out where their number is and um, what 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 number that they have in their head, okay? And whether or not you're wasting your time, at least maybe not wasted time forever, but maybe today, you know. The motivation's just not high enough. So, uh, Charles, last question, question number 10. What is it? Yeah. Uh, how soon are you looking to sell? And then, um, you know, really, you just want to see what their needs are as far as uh, a selling experience, as far as, you know, maybe uh, confidentiality, uh, you know, really things of that nature. So, kind of just extract what, you know, how quickly they'd like to move on this and, and, and how that should look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, more so, are they just, are they kicking the tire? just to see mm-hmm. if they could get this crazy number that they might be thinking in their head or like did, did your letter, did your phone call? Like, I'm assuming that we're going off market. A lot of the deals that Charles and I do, we go off market and we're talking directly to owners. Okay. So that's with this assumption here that we're talking to an owner. You just want to find out like, are they ready, really ready to sell today? Or are they, were they just kicking the tires, just testing to see if maybe someone out there is willing to overpay for their park or, you know, they just want to get a general feel for what the market is. You know, I, I see sometimes Charles that will get callbacks. People are just, they literally haven't gauged the market in 20 years. They've been, they've been so deep in the trenches of running their park that they haven't really come up for air and they don't even know what's happening around them. And so they might just call it and say, Hey, yeah. what is it that you guys do? How long have you been buying parks? They just want to talk shop and that's fine too. So you just, you just want to find that out. Okay. Um, Charles, any other thoughts, any lasting thought, any last thoughts yeah. before we uh, wrap it up? I would like to to say one thing. This is not really a checklist. I mean, it is a checklist. So if you want to take some notes and, and form a checklist off of this, uh, but your conversation shouldn't feel like a checklist to the seller. Uh, you just need to have a normal conversation. And just through the course of that conversation, you just need to find this information out. It's it's not necessarily going down the list of questions and and uh, grilling mm-hmm. the park owner, so, so to speak. So yeah, in fact, just make sure I, you're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I think what we can do is I'll actually put these together. I will form a checklist out of them, but do not use them as a checklist. Like that, don't actually go through right. the conversation asking question by question by question. But uh, maybe it'll be helpful if you actually have these in front of you. That way you can maybe mentally check them off as, uh, as you're going through a conversation with the owner. And, and what you guys will find out is that as you have multiple conversations with owners, you'll, you'll get the, a better feel for just asking these questions. I mean, Charles and I, we don't have a checklist in front of us. We just, we've already got them up in our mind, our checklist is in our mind. We know that we need to ask these things. And uh, um, because that's going to, again, by the end of a call like this, Charles and I have already, by the time we get to like question, I think like number seven or so, if you really followed it that way, um, we would already have a really good idea. Like we've already run the math. We've got our calculator. We're jotting notes down. And we've already got a really good idea about what we would pay for that park. Right, Charles? I mean, like we have a right. good sense of what the number looks like in our mind or what would work for us. And um, so... Uh, Charles, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put these together in a checklist and we'll put them up on uh, Facebook and we'll also put them in okay. our show notes where people can go and uh, just and grab them. In fact, you probably have to do it. It won't be an attachment. Uh, you'll actually just have to, uh, I'll make it so that you can just copy and paste them, copy and paste them onto a Word doc. Okay. And uh, Charles, Sounds anything good. else, bud? No, I think that pretty much covers it. So, Okay, good deal, guys. Well, that's all we have for today's episode. Uh, before we say goodbye, I just want to remind you of the free gift that we offer uh, to all the listeners who take the time to go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, Charles and I, we do a lot of cold calling on our business. Uh, we do a lot of direct mail as well, but cold calling is a big part of our business. And um, for those that actually go to iTunes and leave a review, Charles and I will give you a copy of our cold calling script. It's the exact one 
that we use in our very own business. Okay, so here's how you're going to redeem that free gift from us. After submitting your review on iTunes, go ahead and send us an email to gift at mobilehomeparkacademy.com. Just tell us who you are, what screen name that you used to leave that review, and we'll go ahead and send that gift to you right away. Okay, and be sure to stop by mobilehomeparkacademy.com. You can listen to all of our past episodes. You can also download a copy of our free ebook. 21 biggest mistakes investors make when purchasing their first mobile home park and how to avoid them. Um, this is a, a necessary read, whether you're yep. brand new or you own parks today. In fact, uh, we even did um, a couple episodes back, actually for about a month and a half straight, we actually released the audio version of, uh, of these 21 biggest mistakes. So what I would suggest, uh, Charles, I think this is the best for them to do is actually go uh, download the book, but then go listen mm-hmm. to the audio format um, that, that we, you know, basically launched on the podcast. I think, that, you know, there's 21 audio uh, versions of that and they can like use the, the manual as a reference point. Um, but it's yep. definitely, it's a book you have to read. You've got to listen to the 20 biggest mistakes. I mean, again, whether you're just getting involved or uh, you own a bunch of parks, I think you'll find something of value in there no matter who you are and what stage you are in the business. So um, guys, that's all I have. Uh, Charles, any, any other lasting thoughts about it before we say goodbye? No, I think we're all good. Right. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. So this is Kevin Butt and Charles D. Hart signing off. Congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, Be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter, which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.